Welcome to the Visma Ski Classics podcast, Usha Tulevi. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 12, there are 14 races in 12 event locations, bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on the Pro Tour and the Challenger Series, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. This podcast is sponsored by Salomon. Salomon is a French sports equipment manufacturing company based in the heart of the French Alps. Now Salomon brings to the market a more sustainable Nordic ski, S-Max E-Skin. This new S-Max E-Skin is more environmentally friendly since 45% of the ski core is made of recycled plastic bottles. This new Salomon S-Max E-Skin is the best option for active skiers who are looking for a performance and flexible free solution. Hello everyone, once again, this is Usha Tulevi, I am your host, Demo Virtanen, and now we're pretty much halfway through the season in terms of the number of the races. We have seven uh, stages behind us in Visma Ski Classics, uh, seven more to go, but of course we still have about two and a half months before the season is over. And right now, the leader in the men's game is Kasper Stados, and he is my guest today from Team Rack the Charge. A new face. It's good to have you on our show, Kasper. Um, I assume it feels great to be, be carrying the yellow bib, that yellow jersey, correct? <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, feels good. Um, hopefully I'll be uh, on the start line in uh, Giselka and uh, trying to defend it. So, uh, exciting times. You say, hopefully, is there uh, maybe something that might prevent you from racing? <laughs> I mean, I feel it's kind of bingo uh, at the moment with Corona. So um, you never know. I think uh, just have to be very careful and uh, yeah, a little bit lucky, actually. Are you back in Norway right now? Yeah, got back to Norway on Monday. So um, finally back after five weeks of traveling. So uh, I just enjoyed a good ski in my uh, uh, backyard, Nurmarka today, so that was very nice. Just gotta gotta feel good to be back home, correct? Yeah, for sure. Um, um, of course, it was good uh, good times in Livigno, good food and great weather. But uh, it's always nice to be to be home and uh, recharge a little bit. You said you're skiing in Nurmarka, but what what is your hometown right now? Where do you live exactly? Uh, my hometown is Oslo. So um, I was born in Oslo and uh, yeah, pretty much uh, uh, raised here in Oslo. Um, so uh, my backyard and my hometown is, is Oslo and uh, yeah, the area around uh, Holmen Kohl. Oh, that's a cool place. I lived there a long time ago when I was a kid, you know, so I know a little bit about the, mm -hmm. uh, the city. But uh, what would you like to say about Oslo? I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Oslo. I mean... Uh, Pretty much to the extent that people get annoyed, but I think it's a good combination between big city life, but also good uh, environment for training and uh, in and and enjoying outdoors with the uh, with the forest and Nordmarka being so close. So and then also we have the sea, so you can easily go for a swim in in the ocean, or uh, or enjoy boat life in the in the summer. So it's like a good combination between summer and winter uh, city. Um, for each um, season of the year. 
Indeed, it is a great place, but uh, we'll talk about skiing and a little bit about your background and how did you uh, get involved uh, with Visma Ski Classics and skiing in general. So that'll be kind of the theme of our podcast here uh, while we're getting ready for Yiseska, of course. So let's get started with the Visma Ski Classics and this season that'll be next for us. This season, uh, I guess when we started out, we didn't probably know one, maybe you did, but no one else probably did uh, thought that you will be the one uh, leading the, the game. And even Magnar, you know, Dalen, your director said uh, on the podcast last week that he didn't think that you will be the one, you know, <laughs> carrying the yellow, yellow bib. But uh, did that surprise you that your shape is so good? <laughs> um yeah for sure uh i didn't think i was gonna be uh, nowhere near fighting for uh, the yellow uh but um i do believe uh in myself and i've uh, uh had big hopes of being able to fight for the podium in some races uh i kind of picked out a couple of races where i wanted to be really good maybe win the mass sprint uh in one of those races but to be in the shape i've been the last uh, month has been uh, it's been incredible and uh, a little bit more than i could uh, could have hoped for before the season started let's go back and recap the races a little bit we are halfway through in terms of the not the number of races of course we still mm-hmm. have two and a half months before the season is over so now the uh, it's not as hectic anymore and you don't have to race every <laughs> single weekend but going back to the you know, the christmas time before that usha starting from there if you go like uh, race by race a little bit yep. so usha then what do you want to say about those races and kind of the start of the season uh, f- <sighs> from your perspective yeah well since it was so many or it was such a big gap between Orsha and and um, the races in January I I wanted to be to be good but not on my best um shape in Orsha and then with the the races being race being pretty short and and uh, flat I thought I could be up there with just being in good training shape uh, but then when uh, when we came to the race I was <laughs> I was kind of all time high on on all my training sessions, so um, I was just, I was scared I was peaking a little bit too early this season, but um, um, had a great race in Osha, and then I tried to just go back to to good training block during Christmas. Enjoyed some time uh, with uh, my family and and trained very well before I went to Livigno with Oscar Cardin just before New Year's Eve. So um, and yeah, started to prepare for the the next races. So how was that location? Uh, we actually changed. Uh, it used to be Livigno. That was uh, uh, the kind of the beginning of the season in the past, the first races. But uh, this season it was uh, Usha in Sweden. But in terms of the location, did you feel that it was a good, good start of the season? Uh, yeah, I, I would have liked the race to be longer uh, because <laughs> I've been training all summer and, and fall for the the long races and not the 30k um, but um, it was it was a good uh, I think it was a good weekend with uh, the team prologue the day before and uh, it was a good start kind of a little bit 
different but uh, good media attention and uh, yeah it's just nice to to get the first weekend out of the way and 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 be uh, yeah to start the season and then after that uh, christmas and new years you mentioned that you went to livigno uh, to train with uh, oscar your, your teammate anything else between the usha and then the, the kind of the actual start of the the season and in italy uh, no, I didn't. Uh, it was no races being held between uh, Usha and um, Pustitalir. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I was just training. Uh, I would have liked to race, but uh, in Norway has been pretty strict on Corona restrictions. So, uh, yeah, no popular races being held in during Christmas time. Pretty much training for you, but then you just mentioned Pustatal uh, ski marathon. That weekend was uh, really special. 60k race on Saturday, and then on Sunday, 32 kilometers. And that particular race had a long climb, 10k climb. That was a tough weekend. Pretty much something that you guys been training for. Yeah, the especially the Saturday race was a, a real uh, Vismaski Classics race with uh, with. Um, uh, yeah, mass start and, and uh, what what should I say? Um, yeah, like a regular race, um, but because it was races every weekend, I wasn't sure how good I was uh, gonna be in that first weekend. Um, so uh, a bit surprised that I I felt uh, felt so good, but um, but I had big struggles with the uh, stomach cramps uh, on the Pustatalis, so that was. Uh, that bummed me out a little bit. I felt really good, but um, but my stomach cramps uh, kind of uh, ruined ruined a little bit. Have you figured so, out uh, why? Why did you have those cramps? To be honest, I haven't figured it out uh, yet. Uh, I've tried some things that obviously has worked, but also some things are still a little bit uncertain. But um, I thought it was because of hydration and uh, maybe a little bit lack of uh, magnesium, but um, I'm not 100% sure yet, so I'm going to try to figure it out until Vasaloppe, uh, at least, because that's the longest race and the most important race this year. So, um, yeah, hopefully I'll figure it out. But you didn't have any problems on Sunday? Uh, a little bit on the on the P- Prato Piazza race as well. Uh, but I think it was a little bit because of the altitude. Um so um, hopefully it's going to be better when we uh, are more at sea level. But um, yeah, on, on Pusatala, I had pain, uh, more pain than I've ever experienced before. So uh, that was not very pleasant, but um, it kind of went away the last three kilometers. So uh, luckily I could, be, I could be up there to fight for, um, uh, fight in the finish. But yeah, not, not, uh, not ideal, but that's kind of what uh, what I have to learn this year. Uh, I mean, I'm a I'm a rookie in this uh, in this sport, and uh, I have a lot to learn. So that's one of one of the many things I need to figure out. Indeed, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But generally speaking, uh, two races back to back, and tough one, 60k and 32k, and the climb. Uh, how 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 would you feel about it, or? Is there anything you want to say about that particular weekend in terms of racing back to back, and how how well did that, you know, suit you, for example? It, the, the pain aside, I know that you had some, yeah. some stomach cramps, but <laughs> to put that aside, 
Uh, it was uh, interesting. I never done too <laughs> too long uh, uh, distance races in in one weekend. Last year, I I didn't dare to do it in Volodalna because I didn't think I was uh, well enough uh, prepared. So um, it was uh, kind of um, something new for me. Uh, very um, unsure how the body was going to be on Sunday, and then. Uh, turned out my I was uh, feeling really good. The shape was shape was good, but uh, <laughs> I decided to go with the kick wax on Sunday because um, I didn't believe in myself up the hill. Um, so uh, that was uh, kind of a what what you can call um, I I I, my, I tried my luck maybe to do to go the other way uh, compared to the other guys double polling. And thought that could be my edge to to do a really good race because I thought if I was if I was going to double pole I was going to be average up there because <laughs> like all summer long and and fall I've been in, being crushed by my teammates on these long uphill uh, intervals and and test races so uh, I knew I was going to be <laughs> at least a couple of minutes behind if I was double poling so I was kind of. Uh, hoping that kick wax would work up there um and because i'm i'm pretty confident in my in my striding as i just turned uh, uh turned a long distance skier and um been doing classic strides the last uh, last couple of years uh, as a sprinter but um turned out to be a, a mistake up there so um even though i felt really good i i, uh, I had no chance up up the hill Compared to the the guys double polling, but I mean, it was my chance to. I had to gamble a little bit, and uh, I was very happy with the shape. So I was just looking forward to the next uh, races. To be honest. So your teammate Johan Hurl made the same, uh, you know, uh, decision. So did you guys mm -hmm. talk about it? And it was kind of the uh, you decided to do it together. That let's let's try kick wax. Yeah, I mean, we are the two rookies on the team uh, and uh, also maybe the best guys to do diagonal strides. Um, so we kind of decided that that could be our chance and, and to gamble a little bit. Uh, but yeah, but turned out not so good. Yeah, but we'll know how it, <laughs> how it worked out, you know. But then the weekend after, a very different race. It was yeah. supposed to be the 70K, 75K a uh, race around the lake, the, the beautiful uh, Lake La Venosta, uh, but mm -hmm. it turned out to be a time trial, a different one, a 10K climb. Uh, interesting race, but uh, how did you feel after that uh, Sunday's race that you just talked about and then going to, uh, to La Venosta and, and for that race? Well, uh, I was very disappointed that Reshersen... Uh, uh, was cancelled because uh, that was one of my biggest <laughs> biggest goals uh, for this season, uh, being fairly flat and hopefully uh, uh, finished. I could um, suit me well. So, um, but in these times, you you just got to um, adapt and um, and focus on what's uh, what's possible. Uh, so I'm very happy that the organizers. Um, found a replacement and I think that's very I think that's one of the greatest things with Visma Ski Classics is that the um, uh, the capacity to to turn things around and, and make uh, other races happen if Covid or other political stuff um, 
kind of stops the uh, original plan. So, um, I mean, uh, in these in these times, it's uh, we are just lucky to to be able to compete. <laughs> if you look at the FIS, they did just cancel races here and there, with no the replacement being held. So. Um, yeah, just it was a it was a good replacement event. Not my favorite. I uh, I'm not so um, stoked about uh, racing um, individual time trials, but um, I liked I liked the mass start. So, but I just needed to. Um, but no kick wax um, for you though. <laughs> that time no, around. the kick uh, We threw out the all of the kick wax we had in the the waxing truck after. Prato Piazza. So now it's only slippery skis and um, and double polling. So yeah, um, uh, yeah. But then after that, you know, uh, what happened after that race before La, La Diagonella, which of course was a <laughs> super race for you. You won the race. Uh, yeah. But uh, did you guys you guys went there or did Livigno or where did you guys go and how did you prepare before uh, La Diagonella? Well, I've made out like a big plan for the whole um, January period. So uh, just stuck to my plan and, and tried to have some key sessions uh, before Diagonella, but also just um, absorbing the the races because uh, 10k uphill is a, is a hard one and uh, just tried to recover from that and um, had the... Uh, session where we uh, reconned uh, the course in um, Engadin and uh, and looked at the course um, earlier the week before Diagonella and um, yeah just trying to to be recovered and uh, fit for fight on sa Saturday. You mentioned the um, the cramps that you had uh, at Pustetal. Were you mm -hmm. concerned about that because again that was a high altitude race uh, almost 60k 55k uh, or you just kind of put it aside and didn't really <laughs> no i worked uh tried to work it out before la diagonella so um i was a little bit anxious before the race if i was gonna have any during the race uh and then uh, five minutes before the start my first drinking belt i was gonna start the race with punctured and uh, was leaking so i had to start without the belt for the first uh, half of the race so that wasn't uh, great either <laughs> for the for the cramps and uh, the hydration. Um, so uh, um, yeah, a little bit anxious and uh, kind of uncertain if I was gonna have any. How did that race go? I mean, if you go through the whole race all the way to the final final hill. Um, for me, it was uh, almost a perfect race. Um, I felt good from the very start. Uh, I wanted to be in front, and uh, I had the skis and and um, and the shape to be up there in front and and have control. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I found found the right spots uh, where I wanted to be, uh, and uh, I knew it was it was going to be uh, deci decided in the last yeah couple of kilometers. So it was just to try to be uh up there and uh, try to save energy during the race so um and then the final climb uh, went <laughs> went my way i found the right um yeah i found the right guys to to stay behind and uh 
luckily for me, uh, people couldn't follow, and then we got a, ended up being a smaller and smaller group until the last couple of hundred meters where uh, I could uh, yeah, try to, um, to take the win. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because Maxim Vileksani attacked really, really hard, and it looked mm -hmm. like okay, he's going, he's going for you know for the the victory, but died out. And he he wasn't able to uh, keep keep that pace. But then you were the opposite. Yeah. you were able to speed up and, and and win the race. Yeah, I feel that in these long distance races, you are kind of on the edge all the time uh, when you are on the last five ten k's of the race. Uh, you can feel good, but if you push a little bit too hard, suddenly you just blow up. So um, I was more, in, yeah, I was tired and nervous at the at the end there, where I I felt good, but I knew I I had to get to a certain point where I knew I was going to be able to keep my keep the speed up all the way until the finish line. So I I kind of reconned the the last couple of k's some days before and and found a spot where I. But if I, if I was first on that spot, um, I nobody could could pass me. Um, so when Vilaksanin um, attacked, uh, maybe like two hundred meters before my my spot, I was uh, kind of happy because I could go behind his slipstream, but also a little bit anxious that uh, I wasn't gonna able gonna be able to follow. So, um, but I I got uh, behind him and then. I got to my my cor house corner where I could attack again. So that was, yeah, perfectly uh, executed or perfectly happened for me. Yeah. And assume uh, there must have been an overwhelming feeling when you crossed the finish line, <laughs> being the first one. But can you remember what you were thinking, or did you think anything? It was just. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I was very tired at the end, uh, to be honest. But um, I had two uh, thoughts in my head. I really wanted to to beat Maxim, uh, and uh, the second was that when I after I passed him, I felt that it was my race to lose. So I was just thinking about how much it would hurt to lose it in this position compared to how much it hurt physically. So, um, yeah, it was a relief crossing the finish line first, for sure. But then after a while, when you kind of slowly, you started to realize that, hey, I'm actually, this was this, I'm a winner. This was my first mm -hmm. big uh, victory. So after a while, I mean, how did it feel? at that stage um i've just been happy uh trying to enjoy uh enjoy the win uh it's so many things that needs to go your way and i'm just <laughs> i'm just grateful to to have um put down a perfect race uh, and be able to win it's um it's cool to be on the podium and it's cool to do a, a good result but to win it's um then you need to have some luck as well for sure and and Things need to go your way, and uh, yeah, just been grateful. And then moving from there to Machalonga, one of the legendary uh, races uh, in Visma Ski Classics in long distance skiing, uh, generally speaking. So after a, mm. a victory, after a, a stage win, did you feel that you had pressure on you, or did you just feel more relaxed? <laughs> no, I didn't feel any pressure because. Um, it was my debut in, in Marcelonga and I don't feel that uh, nobody has come 
uh, to Marcelonga and won on the first try. So, um, or at, at least I don't think so. But because it's such a um, complex race. Uh, but um, so no pressure. But I for sure was anxious to catch COVID uh, between La Diagonella and Marcelonga because I knew I was in great shape. Uh, everything uh, was going according to plan training wise and like I felt I was where I wanted to be uh, when it came to to my shape so um, that was that was what I was anxious about but uh, the race itself I was just um, looking forward to it um, being such a historical race and I've watched it several times on on TV or many times on TV and uh, was just uh, keen on being on the start line myself was an exciting race uh, and a bit of an unusual one because yeah. Ermil Vokweb, I mean, I guess nobody, not even you guys, probably thought that he's going to be able to, to keep that, this, you know, the, the, the gap and, and win the race like he did. But what was going on? Why did you guys even try to catch him or? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we tried. I, uh, I think uh, most of the, um, the group would say that we tried. Um, but he was he was too strong, I guess. Um, we had, I think, we had a, a little bit of a similar plan as the other big teams that some of uh, some of the guys in the team was gonna try to save energy and some was gonna be trying to be in breakaways or at least um, make sure that nobody got a big gap like Vukov did. But um, the guys. Um, that was in the front when Vukov uh, attacked. Um, just said he was going too fast and couldn't keep up. Um, I was I was far behind at the, the moment uh, Vukov uh, attacked. So uh, yeah, I, I I didn't think any big <laughs> or big names uh, was going to attack before yeah before the last climb. So um, when I come up to the in the front of the peloton, uh, I was a little bit shocked that. He was away, but then also I've I've seen him being very aggressive uh, on the other races. So um, thought he was just going to be keen on taking some points on the sprints, and and uh, we would catch him down the valley. But that didn't happen. It didn't. Uh, but being a rookie, as you said, you know, uh, in this particular uh, race, what was your strategy or tactic for much longer? I just had to rely on um, what I've seen from from the races on TV and, and what my teammates uh, had uh, experienced. So uh, my plan was to just try to go um, as easy as I could or like save as much energy as I could down to Cascata because I knew it was going to be tough for me up there. So yeah, um, with the with the pace being so high from Kanasai and down, uh, it's very hard to, uh, to at least break away or do something that won't uh, destroy you that won't destroy yourself so um yeah try to just be be in the group and and uh, be smart and save energy for uh, the last uh, last climb well let's talk about that last climb cascada hill uh, of course evoque was ahead of you guys he didn't really have to push that much but you guys you mm. uh yeah darling again maxim vilexanin mm. uh, and you you had a tight, tight fight with him again and and your yeah. teammate uh, andres nigord you four on the hill. So let, yeah. let's go through the whole hill, you know. Well, it was a big, pretty big group coming into Cascata. Um, 
but I was feeling feeling really good, so uh, I got a good position into uh, the, the final uh, tunnel, and um, yeah, just tried to have be top, uh, yeah, in the top uh, part of the group. Uh, and for me, I was thinking the fur further I could go get up the hill without being on my limit, the better I would be. Uh, but I felt that the other guys was the ones needing to push the pace. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just tried to hold on to the back of uh, Max and, and Andreas in the beginning. And then when Jardal and Maxim came out, I thought I needed to try to follow them. Uh, and then, yeah, just <laughs> hope I could, I could stay, stay on their skis. Were you a bit concerned? Because you mentioned earlier that you're not really probably not considered to be the greatest a climber and uh, you just told us that you know uh, when you guys had the summer training sessions uh, your teammates uh, you know just basically beat you whenever you had uh, mm -hmm. something like this and that is really your top climb yeah for sure um, I didn't know what to expect so uh, but uh, I Kind of believed in myself that I could do uh, well up a uh, climb like 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, that uh, climb that's 10 minutes and uh, not 45. But then again, I have no experience going up the hills. I didn't know how the body was going to feel. I didn't know how the others were going to race, uh, how fast they were going to go. So um, I just had to wing it and um, try to follow everyone that pushed the pace. And then you and Maxim, again, you had a really neck-and-neck -neck fight there. But this time, Max, uh, Maxim didn't, you know, uh, die. You know, he was right up there, you know, against yeah. you. I mean, it was so close for the finish. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was uh, very on the limit going over the top of Cascata and into, into the streets there. So, um, but then again, when, when you kind of smell the finish line uh, something happens and uh, when you've done it before it's easier to do again so uh, i guess i <laughs> just found um found some extra power and um and pushed uh, pushed what i had and um it's weird I, I i felt i had i had a good sprint and um i thought i was gonna i was thinking i was gonna beat maxim <laughs> on the whole last uh, final stretch but it was very very close so i'm just i'm just happy that i was a few centimeters in front and then when you think about uh, being second at machalonga and then winning at uh, la diagonela of course machalonga being the legendary race uh, which one of these do you value more and the, the victory at la diagonela or being second at machalonga uh, i don't know um both races were great. Uh, of course, a win is a win, and it's a little bit different to be in second. Um, but uh, I would, I would just, I, I, it all happened within a week, so uh, it's. I'm just happy for both. I would say. And now moving on, we have seven races behind us, and seven more to go, and three more. Uh, in the Visma Grand Classic Trophy competition. Of course, Jiseka Paresatka coming mm -hmm. up. Then uh, after that is Tartu, and then Vasa Lopet and Pirken, and Orefes Lopet, Reistelöpe, and Ules Levi. So 
when thinking about those races, let's start with the Yiseska first. You mentioned that you, of course, you hope that you're not going to get sick or get, get you know get Corona before that. But how are you preparing for that, and how do you think that that particular race uh, could fit you? Um, I'm trying now to recover a bit after a long period being uh, away from home. So just enjoying being home a little bit, uh, recharging. Um, Giseska is for sure a, a new historical race. Um, it has looked very hard and very cool race on TV. So uh, uh, it's going to be fun to to try and try that race. Um, I've been in Bedrikov once before, uh, preparing or training while being in Junior World Championships in Librec. So uh, I've trained a little bit in uh, in the tracks where Giseska is gonna go. So it's it's gonna be fun to be back uh, and then hopefully be there with a okay shape, so you can be up in the, in the top spots. And then what about Tartu? That is a returning race. It's a great uh, 63-kilometer race in a kind yeah. of a rolling, undulating uh, terrain. Not really that tough, but it's, uh, it's a great place. Yeah, uh, that was Tartu was maybe my my uh, go-to race where I wanted to, or where I thought I had the biggest chances of winning this year. Uh, 60K, a little bit up and down, but mostly flat. Um so uh, for sure, looking forward to Tartu as well. Uh, I've almost uh, traveled there and raced Tartu before, but because of the the normal or the sprint schedule, uh, I haven't been able to. But um, it's been a it's been a race where I, I've followed for many years. So, and I have a friend Alvar Alev that's from uh, Estonia. So uh, I talked to him about that race, and um, yeah, looking forward to that one. And then you have, after that, you have a two-week break. And then uh, the famous Vasalop, but you talked about that, that that being your number one goal, pretty much everybody's number one, mm -hmm. you know, uh, goal. What do you want to say about Vasalop, and what do you what do you want to achieve there? Um, I want to uh, achieve a victory for Team Ragda Charge uh, at Vasalop, for sure. So... If it's me or Nigard or, or any of my other teammates, um, the most important is that we can uh, fight for the win and take home the win. Uh, that's going to be the main main goal, and for sure, I, I want to be one of one of the guys, maybe achieving that. But um, with the season being so long and it's uh, been so many hard races, um, I just have to enjoy being in good shape now, and then we'll see. But uh, I I need to do something different than I did last year because then I um, I wasn't following when when the guys broke away in Lundbeck. So um, at least I need to do another tact or a different tactic this year and and try to be more in front and um, and then we just have to to see how the race develops. I think uh, 90k with with high pace is something I need to train some years to to be able to. Um, to manage, but uh, if it's more a slow race, maybe it could fit fit me well. So you never know in Vasilov. It could be snow, it could be super fast, and or it could be yeah, well, it could be different uh, conditions. So um, it's 
going to be exciting either way. Well, tell me about it. It keeps changing. I mean, of course, last year was really fast-paced, but the years before it was uh, completely different with the, with this, you know, snowfall and, and so forth. But then after Vasalopet Birken, Birkebeineren in your home country, uh, that's it's going to be a big goal for you guys as well. I mean, being a Norwegian and Birken also has a you know long uh, history behind it. Yeah, uh, it's going to be great to have the return of Birken this year. Uh, it's been a couple of years without, so um, hopefully we can start with uh, with the popular races uh, or the popular race uh, or um, it being a big big field. Um, on the start line and um, it's going to be exciting I've, I've I raced it twice before one with kickbacks and one double polling and um, I have been um, um, yeah not so good on, on Virken before but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how I can um, attack the race now with uh, specifically <laughs> specific training and uh, yeah better uh, conditions to to do a good race and then after birken uh, you have a two-week break again and then three races back to back orifes lopez the 100k race week after that race which isn't that long but then again it's a really tough course anulas levy 70k race a really a nice course but some cl- uh, tough climbs there as well those three races how are you approaching them of course it's still far away but yeah yeah um, luckily, I, I raced 100k last year, so I kind of know what I'm, uh, I'm, I'm facing there. So uh, there is just to, yeah, toughen up and uh, <laughs> and uh, dig deep. And then uh, Rastelop is going to be a tough one for sure. Um, uh, I don't know what to expect there from myself, to be honest. But I just have to do as I always do, uh, try my best and. Uh, and um, yeah, try to be in as good shape as I can. And then Ilesev is for sure going to be be a challenge, uh, be in the final race. And um, yeah, uh, I I haven't seen so much uh, of the races in Ilesev, so I'm I'm not so sure what to expect. But for sure, with 70k, it's going to be a tough one. So and when I listen to you, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't sound Utterly optimistic uh, in terms of winning the whole thing. You're like, you kind of <laughs> sounds to me like, yeah, I'm happy to have been in good shape right now. Let's see how it goes, kind of thing. But realistically speaking, uh, do you think that you have a chance to to win? Uh, you you are you have the yellow bib now, but <laughs> are you gonna be able to to hold on to it all the way through? I'm for sure gonna try everything I have to hold on to the bib. Um, my uh, my kind of mental approach is to do my best each race and fight with everything I have. But uh, realistically thinking, um, to be as good during a whole season, to be able to have the yellow bib after the final race, uh, um, I'm not so sure about. So um, uh, I'm just going to enjoy enjoy. Uh, the shape I'm in now, and then and and then enjoy every race. It's for me, Vismaski Classics is a, it's about having fun and and challenging myself, uh, and and not being too uptight about the uh, cup standings and and too much pressure. I I kind of just want to have fun skiing and and challenge myself and do do good races with my team, and then 
if the yellow bead is the result of that, that's awesome. But um, I, I just want to to do good races and, and um, yeah, be, have big challenges. Well, that being said, you know, of course, uh, that seems to be the kind of the name of the game for you. That's to have fun. But still, you have the yellow bib uh, and you are trying to hold on to it. Um, so who could be the um, toughest opponents, uh, rivals right now, based on all these races that we had so far? Who do you fear the yeah. most? <laughs> I don't fear anybody, but uh, I, I think uh, the guys being top five now in the overall, it's it's for sure going to be the ones uh, toughest to beat uh, in the the yellow bib con uh, contention. So Max has been strong, and uh, Nigor is is in good shape now and and collecting points. Um, Yardalen is uh, is always strong and. Um, I mean the the shape Pulgor has been in. He's he's very um, he's a veteran in the game and uh, very stable. So um, I think it's going to be a lot of skiers that can fight for the yellow actually. And and we have all uh, just started the 300 points races. So uh, Giselska, Birkin, and Vasilop is going to very be very decisive for the yellow bib. So if you if you aren't on the start in one of those, you lose 300 points. So then, then you're kind of screwed. So um, you need to be up there every race, especially on the 300 points races. So um, I think it's very open as of this moment. But I think you guys won't allow Vokuev uh, to do another breakaway like that, Kamiseska, Peresatka, or any of the remaining races. We will for sure try not to do that same mistake again. But I mean, if he's as strong as he was in Marjolonga, it's, it's going to be hard. So, uh, but for sure, we need to to be a little bit uh, smarter next time. Indeed, but let's talk about you and, uh, and your background and how did you actually become involved with ski, ski classics and even skiing when you were young. So that'll be next for us. Going back to your childhood, were you ever since the beginning or when you were born basically uh interested in skiing or how did that kind of come about i know that coming from norway i guess you all you know just kind of naturally <laughs> born that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a saying that uh, every norwegian is born with skis on their feet but um it is kind of interesting for me i i was i was born in in norway also uh but um, we moved to Denmark when I was a couple of months uh, old, lived in Denmark for a couple of years and then moved to Belgium, uh, Waterloo, just outside of Brussels. Uh, and we lived there for three years. So, uh, uh, we didn't move back until 2000, uh, when I was six. So when I came, came to Norway, when I was six, I didn't know much about skiing. I have only skied like during Easter breaks and I wasn't very interested in in skiing i was um, interested in football uh mainly so um i was compared to the other guys in my uh class uh, during school i was late to the party kind of uh but um it's a very big um community for skiing in in oslo and holmkollen with the with the ski club hemming so all my classmates were skiing uh, so um, to kind of be be friends with everyone, uh, I kind of had to join skiing, uh, and I really liked it. So uh, my best mate um, in middle or in uh, 
the earlier years of school uh, was very into skiing so we were skiing all the time and then yeah I got into uh, the ski club and then after a while the competitions and then it's just been yeah all in on on skiing but um, I've actually done a couple of other sports until I was 16 I was very into football but uh, also tennis and uh, I play a little bit of golf and uh, tried cycling so kind of did a little bit of everything uh, when I was younger and then when I was 16 and I had to choose high school I I went all in on on skiing you've been very versatile you know from golf to skiing <laughs> you tried everything yeah I mean I, I like to compete and I, I like to try new things so um yeah trying to just um do as, have as much fun as I could when I was younger so those years away from Norway, do you remember much? I mean, you're pretty young, living in Denmark and, and Belgium. And did you speak the language? I don't remember much from Denmark, but a little bit uh, from from Belgium. Uh, the sad thing is that um, I, <laughs> at one point I spoke fluent Danish, Swedish and French. Uh, but uh, I wasn't uh, good enough to practice when I came back to Norway, so I've forgotten all of it. So that's a little bit of a shame. But um, yeah, I went to this kindergarten in Belgium that was a Scandinavian uh, kindergarten. So uh, uh, yeah, I was had, I had mates that was Swedish and Danish. So then when you moved back and you, you told us that you got a, a into skiing uh, slowly but surely, then how did it progress from uh, there on? Mm, it just each year you got a little bit more serious or not serious but I, I used more and more time on it but uh, in, in Heming the ski club um, it's a great program where you start when you're eight and then as you get older it's it's more uh, uh, team sessions and uh, we started having from one session to two sessions a week and then three and then some in the weekends and then when you're 13, 14, you have a big, um, big uh, competition in Holmenkollen where the whole nation or the skiers from the whole of, whole country comes to compete. And then for sure you have this uh, kind of national championships when you're 15, 16. And then things just slowly progress to be more and more serious. And uh, we have coaches um, in the club that starts being like, coaches for younger kids when they're skiers themselves and then as you get older you get more professional coaches uh, with education for for training so um, it's a very good very good program in in Heming and, and Oslo we have a good community uh, for all the clubs in Oslo to to work together for the uh, national races when you're a junior so that's also a big uh, factor for um, yeah, being being a developing as a skier in uh, Oslo and um, and yeah, you kind of develop. Uh, it's a good community and and you develop friendship uh, in the club. And uh, I had a very all of my good mates that I'm hanging out with now is uh, former skiers from Hamming or or other clubs in Oslo. So um, yeah, uh, it's a good combination between. Um, a good training program, but also uh, good culture and, and friendship. You mentioned the uh, the junior games in Liberec uh, earlier, but how well did you do at that age? How high did you go? Um, well, I, I 
quickly became pretty good uh, in my region in Oslo uh, from when I was like 10, 12. But I wasn't very big uh, when it, come to, it came to height. So uh, when other people hit puberty, I, I got crushed for some years. Um, but when I started being older, like 16, 17, I started being fairly good again. I got a podium in, in what's like national championships for 15, 16 year olds. Um, and then when I had first year junior, I, I got monocleosis. So, uh, I wasn't very good start to my junior career, but, um, then I was enrolled in a sports high school called Vang. Uh, in Oslo, so um, I just had good to, um, teammates there and, and classmates, so uh, I progressed to the year after being national champion when I was 18 for a junior, and then yeah, making it to the junior worlds when I was 19, so um, I would say I was pretty good as a younger skier, but yeah, I had some struggles during uh, along the way. So at that age, uh, what were your goals? Were you thinking about uh, career and standing uh, distances? Or were you already kind of thinking that, hey, maybe the longer distances could suit me? <laughs> uh, I was, I, I mean, I, I was like the long uh, the, the marathon skiing. We, we did this race called Trollsje Marathon uh, in the Lillehammer area when I was yeah around 16 to 18 with my classmates. Uh, and that's a 95k race. Uh, so that was something, uh, something special, uh, and I, I I really liked that one, even though I didn't train for it. But my my main focus has been sprint uh, ever since uh, Junior Worlds in in 2013. Uh, that's where I've uh, felt I was the strongest and had much uh, most fun uh, racing. So. Um, but I mean, it's such a high level in Norway, so I, I didn't dare to think I could uh, do it uh, full time when I was uh, younger. But after being to the junior worlds and, and and seeing that I could be among the best in the world as a junior, I, I kind of saw that I had the possibility to do, possibility to do it full time if I put everything I had into it. So, um, but then it was it was sprint that was my focus. It's been my focus until this year. To be honest, yeah. That's interesting. Coming from the sprint world and uh, then hopping onto the long distances. I mean, from a short distances to long distances. But then again, quite a lot of sprinters uh, move to uh, successfully move to long distance skiing. We have had, you know, John Christian Dahl and and Schulstad uh, and and Eustin Pettersen and even Nigord started as a, as a sort of a sprinter, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> shooting for the green bib and then became the overall. So it's not something that it's completely uh, you know unusual, uh, but still coming from a sprint wall to long distance skiing, why why does it? It seems to me that it suits sprinters so well. It's the <laughs> yeah. technic technical thing that you have to hone your double polling so so well, or how come that sprinters are quite often so good in long distances? Uh, I to be honest, I, I'm not really sure. Um, it's just uh, I think it's a combination between strength and uh, and technique, I guess, and maybe the ability to not burn uh, energy over a long time. I don't know because uh, for me, I, I'm really good at going full gas for a couple of minutes, and then I'm I'm not so good uh, pushing hard for thirty to forty five minutes. But then 
when it uh, the longer it gets uh the the better energy level i can sustain i think um if that's the the maximum strength uh i've developed from sprinting or if something it's the another talent i don't know but um uh, for me i've just seen from other races i've done that if it gets over 20k the the guys that are very good on the classical 15k they they start getting tired and i can kind of keep on going but to be honest i have no explanation why and uh, uh yeah but how did the transition uh come about um well i've always wanted to race vasaloppe when i'm in shape uh so Uh, but then again, the schedule is pretty tight when you're racing um, Scandinavian Cup, Norwegian Cup, and and also World Cup. Um, so it's usually doesn't fit uh, in the in the calendar. But uh, the season being a bit different last year, it opened a gap to to try Vasaloppe, and uh, I was like, okay, I'll 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 give it a go because um, uh, usually. Uh, regular skiers try Vasaloppe a couple of years after they've retired and then you can do well but it's something else to do it while training um, the hours you need to to be in good uh, really really good shape so um, I was lucky to get a start bib from uh, my team uh, my mates in the team Strae Kestle um, so they kind of hooked me up uh, and then um, I joined their little team Uh, and uh, yeah, just uh, went from Norwegian Cup at Golo on uh, Saturday and to the start line in in Salen on on Sunday. So um, kind of just uh, a little bit spontaneous, but yeah, a kind of a dream come true to to try Vasaloppe, um, and that's where it where it started. How did you feel the first Vasaloppe? I mean, I think I was very lucky with the conditions because uh, I was thinking. If it's going to be four and a half hour race, then I would definitely bonk at <laughs> in the end. But being three and a half hours in a fast race, it suited me as well as it could. Um, I enjoy big packs and being in a in a group and and saving energy and and uh, yeah, fighting for fighting kind of fighting for position. So I, I had lot lots of fun during the race and. Um, Uh, yeah, my nutrition plan <laughs> went well. I had no support, so I was uh, carrying everything I needed for the race on me with a with a coxa belt and and some gels uh, taped to my uh, to my legs. So uh, um, yeah, I had a good. I was in very good shape uh, in that period. So um, I think that helped also. So um, but yeah, I I got. I got a little bit stuck uh, in the, in the back of the pack uh, when when things started happening. So that was a little bit a um, little, little bit of a bummer. But I don't know if I was uh, strong enough to to be up there, even though if I was good enough positioned, I was counting on or hoping for a mass mass uh, sprint. That was my only chance, I think, being so underprepared as I was for that Vasaloppe. But yeah, I. Ended up being top 30 and uh, being beaten by Anders Auckland in the sprint. So uh, it was uh, it was a fun fun race and fun experience, but for sure some potential uh, to be better. And then after that race, uh, what were you thinking? Were you considering that okay, this could suit me well? Maybe I should do more 
uh, long distance skiing. And then how did you end, end up being part of, you know, uh, your team now, Team Rakte? Um, I don't know. I was, uh, after struggling with, uh, with bad shape in January and the Norwegian champs and the selection for the world champs, uh, I was suddenly in, in very good shape in February, March, and um, so I was. I won the, both a Norwegian uh, Norwegian Cup races, um, and then I was thinking maybe try to make it to the Olympics the, the year after. But then, and I was very very looking forward to the Norwegian champs coming up um, just after Vasaloppa. But then those races got cancelled, so I didn't. I wasn't able to to try my best against Klabo and Valnes um, there. So then I was just trying to to use my shapes where I could. And, uh, and then Jürgen Auklund called and um, said he was pretty impressed by how I raced Vassalop and, and asked if I wanted to come and race in Volodalen. Um, so, um, I mean, it was a, an opportunity. So uh, I wanted to, yeah, that I grabbed and uh, just wanted to to compete and in, in the spring and you did pretty well in Tossos and Criterium 64 you were seventh there yeah it was uh, it was pretty good um, that was kind of <laughs> an exam for me to see how I could do uh, if the race went as I wanted it to go but um, for sure I, I was up there being seventh but I I didn't have the power the last 200 meters to to be able to fight for the podium so i i kind of felt i had some potential but i was nowhere near well enough trained to to be able to compete against uh, emil and um and the other guys that have uh, been in front of me so um for sure saw a little bit more of the potential but uh, also s- kind of saw that i needed specific training to to able to to have the the, the pace all the way and then Orefes Lopet, uh, as you mentioned, you also participated in, in that particular race, 17th there. Uh, but uh, after that, what kind of happened there? I mean, you were still kind of considering, uh, the, you know, the you know, career in this and uh, regular distances, being a sprinter. Uh, how did Jürgen convince you that you should be doing this? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, well, he was pretty eager to to get me to start skiing long distance. Uh, but then again, I knew it was a lot of work. It's 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 very hard races. I mean, sprints are uh, it's the sprints are long days and and very lactate. Um, it's a lactate party in sprint um, and uh, very hard races, but long distance races like several hours. And then it was also the training part. I knew I had a big uh, job in front of me if I was going to change and I didn't want to do it uh, halfway. So if I was going to change, I needed to, to put in a lot of, lot of hours double polling. So, uh, and then for sure winning the last two sprint races in Norway and winning the overall sprint cup in, in Norway. Um, I was also kind of considering the Olympics, uh, national team and, and that's been a long time goal and dream for me. So, um, it's kind of needed to figure out what I wanted to do and what was most, uh, what, what motivated me the most. Um, so it was a little bit of a process. Um, 
And then for sure, after a long, uh, long season, you are a little bit tired as well. So you also need to focus on other things. So um, it was a lot of uh, different um, thoughts going through my head. But uh, uh, in the end, the, um, I think the challenge and the opportunities that was within Ski Classics was too big to not jump on. Uh, uh, with uh, the, I mean, it was very cool to see that Visma was, uh, Ski Classics was able to to have all their races during a difficult time last year and, and seeing the, like, um, uh, the willingness to make things happen compared to FIS. And uh, to be honest, uh, I was pretty sick and tired of all the politics and um, the selection processes in, in World Cup uh, racing. So uh, uh, with uh, Jürgen say, saying that I could race every race I wanted and uh, kind of you, you get the, the schedule um, before the season starts and you can just put it into your, um, to your plan and you know which weekends you're going to be racing and which weekends you are being able to to stay at home and chill. So uh, instead of always living in the uncertainty, so that was uh, a big uh, uh, thing for me. That was, uh, yeah, motivating and, and uh, very nice to to have. So um, I think that was uh, what tipped me over to to joining uh, long distance skiing. You're not the only one who is saying that. A lot of uh, skiers say the same, you know, that uh, that the qualifying process is so taxing and nerve-wracking and it's so much easier when you know what races to do and just uh, put your sole focus on 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 a schedule that you know that is going to, to happen. But uh, after that soul-searching that you did uh, this past uh, spring and when you decided to, put your focus on long distance skiing how much did you change your training you know from being a, sprint, a sprinter um changed quite a bit i would say 50 percent of what i've uh, been doing i've changed out to a long distance focus and then i've, I've tried to keep uh, some of uh, the types of sessions and training uh, philosophy as i've had the last couple of years because um, obviously some things worked very well being seven in in Volodalen and and being okay in Vasaloppe. So um, kind of trying to keep some of my uh, attributes being like fast and and powerful, and then working on being uh, yeah working on the stamina and and being able to hold the power for fifty, sixty, seventy, ninety k or even hundred k. But I assumed that you had to put a lot more focus on double poling. Yeah, for sure. I've I've switched out all the skating. So, um, or I mean, I I think I one I, I skate one fifth of what I did before. So, uh, for sure, um, change out all the all skating with the double poling, and it's been <laughs> very much. <laughs> uh, very many hours double poling, uh, roller skiing, and and skiing the last uh, year. What about diagonal striding? You said earlier that you, uh, you're still pretty good at that, but you still do uh, that? You still train diagonal <laughs> striding? No, not really. I um, I think I have kickbacks under my skis uh, three times this year. And then I think I diagonal strided once or twice on roller skis this year. 
So I've actually been diagonal striding less than I've been skating. And uh, um, I'm not skating anymore, to be, uh, to be completely honest. I'm, I'm doing freestyle. So I don't care how my technique is in skating, and I don't care how my technique is in diagonal. I only care about double polling. But sometimes it's nice to, to make or to have the arm, arms rest a little bit. Let's talk about the training a little bit. Uh, you told us that you changed it quite a lot, uh, but what kind of a, give us some examples of your sessions. You know, what is your typical uh, endurance session and then the interval session? And then what about strength training? Well, I, I it's, it's not, it's pretty complex, I would say. Um, I try uh, not to have like a key session as um, consistency is key. To, to have like a saying there um so i just try to to do different parts of what i think i need and then kind of uh pull it all together um but uh, for sure uh intervals are important um i do try to do as much intervals as i can uh but um pretty controlled most of the time and then uh, my biggest uh, change or my biggest sessions this year has been long, long double polling sessions, four or five hours, uh, because I I need the to work on my stamina. So uh, I've had um, a session called the Tuesday, that's like a touring Thursday, where I've been uh, roller skiing for uh, eight to two hundred k, just trying to find a good bakery somewhere. And making a trip out of it, and uh, just having music on, and uh, yeah, just uh, going by myself, uh, enjoying the the roads on roller skiing, and and having a goal where I can have a good uh, little snack. But those are easy pace. Norway. race. Yeah, e- easy pace um, for sure. So, and then on on camps we have harder sessions where we called. Uh, people re- yeah, usually call it uh, Vasa, Ekter Vasa sessions. So it's more worth like um, long duration on the session, but also intervals in the session. So um, that's kind of Vasa to... Pass type of training. Yeah, yes. yeah, Vasa Pass. So um, for sure, I had some of those to to um, to be able to uh, get the stamina up. Um, but then again, I've, I've tried to not kill myself during summer and fall uh, because the season is so hard itself. So tried to be prepared, but also being mentally and physically ready to all the for all the challenges uh, during the season. So um, if uh, if you've trained yourself to death before the season starts, it's not going to be. Uh, I don't think it's going to be good races. So um, it's it's like a fine line. You're living on the edge, but trying to like trigger what I what I need to build on and then yeah kind of build this uh, pyramid with uh, a good foundation you mentioned the intervals but what type of intervals are they short long or you do both do you do speed training like really short uh, I do I think I do a good mix I like to run uh, and I um, I like to do long intervals so um I mean, uh, I've done uh, a, a bunch of 10 times 1,000 meter running intervals. And I think that's very unusual as a double polling ski classic skier. Um, 
but it gives me this um, kind of um, it's good on the heart and good on the legs uh, and then if I combine that with the double polling uh, intervals a couple days later I think that's a good it's a good week so uh, a cl another classic uh, interval session for me is uh, five times one uh, loop in Holmenkollen the roller ski track there and just double polling all the hills um, and how long is that track? It's 4K, so it's like, I mean, I, I usually uh, use like 11 and a half to 12 minutes uh, on that loop when I'm doing threshold. Um, and uh, my competitors are usually using between 10 and 11, so I'm being crushed there. But um, I just try to, uh, to do solid control sessions and, um, and build uh, from week to week. And uh, yeah. Like hopefully just be stronger by the continuity of, of things. So are you uh, a believer in, in, in block training or more like you have regular interval days uh, per week? Mm, I'm not so convinced about block training. Uh, my uh, philosophy is um, consistency. So uh, volume and consistency. I think um, each session needs to be a good session but uh for sure the more good sessions you can build on top of each other the better it is so um i would say it's it's better to train uh with a little bit of control and get continuity than to be training these insane sessions and being crazy good on some sessions and like taking steps and then someone being sick or injured or or super tired for for weeks so um I kind of try to build up from May to August, a little bit of base, and then to, to be able to train well from September to November. That's where I think the most important part of the training is. So, and then I, I, I train for in the summer to be able to train in the fall, and I train in the fall to be able to compete in the winter. But that's easier said than done. Because uh, uh, you can... You can be unlucky and have any injuries or something like that. But I think if you train a little bit smarter, then you can avoid some injuries at least. And then what about strength training? Do you go to a gym and lift weights? Yeah, I do a little bit of that. Um, I think uh, it's a good uh, addition to the double pulling. So uh, a little bit of uh, what we call max strength to heavy weights and uh, just... It's kind of more prehab kind of thing to just being um, strong uh, kind of in the whole body to be able to to do the outdoor training that you want to do with double pulling and running and uh, try to avoid try to avoid um, injuries. You also mentioned volume. Did you increase your uh, training volume when you uh, switched over? And how much are you training? Are you over a thousand hours? I, I assume. <laughs> nah, I think I'm around thousand. I would say. Uh, so, I've tried to increase a little bit, but that's just because uh, uh, this I have fewer sessions now compared to sprinting, but. Uh, um, the sessions are longer, so like before I train two times a day, three times a day, but usually just an hour or one and a half, but now I can have 
one session that's four or five hours. So uh, a little bit more volume in, in hours, but not so much in like training sessions. Um, but I mean, I had some struggles in August, September. So if you look at like the, the amount of hours this year, it's not going to be uh, crazy, but because uh, I, I lost like 50 to 60 hours in August, September. But uh, I, for me, it's it's week by week and and kind of like uh, I, I, I have periods where I wanted to train a lot and then I have periods I train less. So that's what's important and not so much for a calendar year or from May to April. And then what about the uh, in the winter time uh, during the race season? Uh, how much can you train between the races? Do you have like a set schedule that you have like one endurance day and one speed day or how, did, how, how does it consist of? I mean, it's it's kind of an unknown territory for me this year. I don't know how my body was is going to feel between all of these races. So I just try to recover and then I try to put in some some sessions I think will be good for the upcoming races or for upcoming period. Um, but uh, I'm I'm gonna try to train well for Vasalope. Uh, but um, it's uh, you kind of have to see if you get sick and stuff. It's not so easy, but uh, for sure trying to get a tr good training block in, in now in February, uh, so I can be ready for uh, the last last couple of well, last part of the season. But in between uh, uh, a month, uh, like we've just been through it's it's not easy to to train very much but uh it's uh it's more of one or two sessions you need to focus on so what is your long-term uh goal of course right now you're holding on to that yellow babe but uh you now switched over to long distance skiing and when you're thinking about the years to come what do you want to achieve who do you want to be do you want to become a legend of a of, a, of long distance <laughs> skiing like some of your teammates already are yeah i mean uh, i'm i'm uh, fortunate to be on te on a team with uh, some uh, big legends and uh, if i can achieve half of what they've achieved uh, i would be very happy uh my big big goal is to establish myself in the top uh in ski classics but um uh, and then and Vasilop being like the big big um, goal for the future. Um, I've, 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 it would be awesome to to be able to win Vasilop one one time. But if it happens this year or next year or in five years, I'm not so sure about. Uh, but I I just need to build from year to year. I think, and uh, we'll see. Um, uh, it's gonna be. Uh, I think uh, hopefully I can I can kind of uh, make my ground level a little, bit, a little bit higher after each year with uh, with long distance skiing. So uh, we'll see how how it ends up. Well, those are great goals, uh, of course. But before we wrap up, uh, a quick word about you as as, as a person. Uh, what would you like to say about uh, skiing? Uh, aside. What would you like to say about you? What kind of person are you? I mean, it see, uh, seems and sounds to me that you are a, a pretty happy guy, positive guy, uh, friendly person as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, how would you uh, describe uh, uh, yourself? In 
uh, it's hard to describe uh, oneself, but uh, I try to be positive uh, and um, and friendly for sure. Uh, but for me, um, I like to do um, several things. I I think for me to to be happy and to enjoy life, I I need to be challenged in different areas. So. I have lots of interests in other stuff than skiing. I, I for sure like uh, and think about skiing a lot. But also, I enjoy um, studying at uni, economics, and uh, following um, what happens in the economic world. And um, I also work part-time uh, in a real estate developing company. So, uh, uh, And that's a very cool challenge I, uh, I have. And... Uh, very grateful to to be able to think about other things than than skiing um uh, so uh, i just and then i have a lot of friends that um do other stuff that i need or i like to to hang out with and and just think about completely different things than than racing and, and pressure and stress so i think that if i'm if i'm sound and and enjoying just relaxed and and have uh, different challenges I, I think I, I strive and, and, and really are motivated for doing the, the extra work you need to do in, in to be able to to be uh, the, one of the or to be good in, in skiing uh, at least for me I've tried to be 100% dedicated to skiing but I think maybe the, the quality of, of the training goes a little bit down if you if you feel that it's more work than than uh, fun so I feel that I'm uh, lucky to be able to go out and train for four or five six hours uh, because uh, um, uh, then I have time to do that and then I when I come back uh, I need to focus on my exams in school and and then uh, study there or maybe do some work so um, I I, I appreciate the time uh, I'm out training and, and for sure out competing because uh, that's hella fun. But the day will come when you have to finish your skiing career and you just mentioned that you're studying and economics is something that you're, you're into. So the business world, I guess, is that something you're uh, shooting for after skiing? Uh, we'll see, but um, I think there's lots of exciting opportunities in business um, and uh, for me, uh, real estate is very interesting. I, I think it's cool to build something and, uh, and create something and uh, extract uh, value uh, from that. It's, uh, it's very cool. So hopefully I can um, develop some skills in that uh, area as well. But we'll see. I'll, I'm going to ski as long as it's fun and uh, challenging. And then, then we'll see what, what the future brings. And then what about family? I mean, when is that going to be part of your grand, <laughs> grand scheme of things of land? <laughs> uh, you never know. You can plan that uh, stuff, I think. For me now, uh, it's, uh, I have, uh, if it happens, it happens. But um, I'm just um, taking, taking that uh, as it comes. Do you have a girlfriend? Um, I wouldn't say that. But um, maybe, uh, hopefully one day, yeah. Okay, what else is important in your life besides skiing, business, family one day, anything else? <laughs> I think you've uh, summed it up pretty well there. Um, for sure, friends and family are, uh, are uh, things I, I value and um, enjoy. And then uh, 
I am uh, uh, very into sports, so uh, I've been following Formula One the last couple of seasons, as very many others have done, and and I also enjoy other other sports and follow follow mates that have uh, become one of the best in the world in their sports, and it's cool to follow. So I'm just uh, yeah following lots of sports. You know that we have plenty of good uh, Formula One drivers from Finland. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have the you have the coolest ones. Uh, indeed. Uh, then how do you how do you kill time? I mean, it's or are you always so busy and active that you just don't ha- relax at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I have my fair share of uh, Netflix, so um, I watch uh, watch a lot of Netflix, and then I play some chess and um, yeah, um, do what every uh, other uh, skier does. Just Relax and and I and I do chill on the bed, quite some time. Speaking of net Netflix, any uh, good shows you've been watching lately, or programs? I mean, uh, not show, but uh, a movie that uh, I've really enjoyed is the Fourteen Peaks by Nims Purgy, um the guy that climbs uh, all the eight thousand meter uh, peaks in the world. Uh, very inspiring and and a, and a cool, uh, cool film. Um, so I would recommend that one. And the last thing, uh, for all those young people out there, uh, what would you be your kind of tip or maybe advice or encouragement for them to uh, hop on skis and try uh, long-distance skiing and Visma Ski Classics? Uh, my my main advice would be to, to follow what you want to do, uh, not care so much about what people think and mean uh, and listen to the ones that believe in you and there's very many people that has opinions <laughs> about what you should do and um, and things like that but um, it's uh, in the end of the day it's what yourself want to do and, and what makes you happy I think yeah, that's important to just do whatever makes you happy and if you do that I think you will find a way to to make it your living. So, yeah, just go for it. Wise words. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Casper. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on our show and good luck, you know, with the upcoming races and uh, hopefully you'll be able to hold on to the yellow bib as long as you can. Maybe all the way to Levy. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be great. So thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. So hopefully we'll uh, have some great races in front of us. And you folks out there, thank you very much for joining us. Stay tuned for more Usha Tulevi episodes. And of course, uh, remember to watch all the races. Uh, the next one is Yises Kapare Satka. That'll be next. And thank you very much. And bye-bye and take care. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.